0: This is The Guardian. Today, how a right-wing majority on the U.S. Supreme Court is changing America.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you
0: The biggest setback to gay rights in America in recent years has its origins way back in September 2016, when a woman named Laurie Smith, who designs websites, filed a legal challenge against anti-discrimination laws in her state, Colorado.
1: Well, I am a custom graphic and website designer. I create unique, one-of-a-kind websites and speech. And yes, I want to design for weddings, and I want to design in a way that's consistent with my faith. But Colorado is censoring and compelling my speech and forcing me to create custom artwork, custom expression that goes against the core of who I am and what I believe.
0: Smith, who's a Christian, was worried that these laws would mean that if a gay couple ever asked her to design a website for their wedding, a very specific concern I know, it would be illegal for her to say no.
1: My case is not only about me and my artwork, but also protecting the LGBT artist or graphic designer who should not be forced to create custom artwork that opposes same-sex marriage.
2: But there was a key problem in her lawsuit. And that problem was that no one had ever asked her to provide a website for a same-sex wedding. She actually hadn't gotten a request to do the thing that she feared was going to happen.
0: Sam Levine, a reporter with Guardian US, has been covering the case.
2: And you can see why that's problematic for her lawsuit. She needs to show that she suffered some harm that she's being penalised or being forced to do something that she doesn't want to do in order to
0: have a case. But, as luck would have it, that problem was quickly solved. The day after Smith filed her lawsuit, a message appeared in her inbox. This is what the message
2: says. My wedding. My name is Stuart and my fiancé is Mike. We are getting married early next year and would love some design work done for our invites, place names, etc. We might also stretch to a website. And so her lawyers start pointing to that to say, hey, look, she did get this inquiry and she has, in fact, suffered the type of injury that that allows her to bring a lawsuit.
0: Smith's case was dismissed by a court in Colorado. But... Over the next years, her appeals made their way up through America's court system. And late last year, the case was heard by the US Supreme Court, and they would make the final decision.
2: But the day before the Supreme Court issued its ruling, a twist emerged. A reporter from a news magazine called The New Republic got in touch with this man called Stewart who filed this inquiry with the website designer. And this reporter asked Stewart what he made of the fact that his email had gone all the way to the Supreme Court that had played this, you know, sort of critical role in the, in the case. And to her surprise, Stewart said he had no idea that his name was being used in the case, that he had actually never sent this inquiry, and that beyond that, he had been happily married to a woman for the last 15 years. So last week, I dug up the court filing from Stewart. And the filing has his email address and phone number. And I sent him an email to the email that's listed. And he responded pretty quickly. And when we spoke, he didn't seem angry. He seemed more just sort of in... Disbelief. Disbelief, I think, in both that his name had been used in this way and disbelief that it had taken this long for anyone to track him
0: down. I mean, that is an incredible twist in this case and amazing that it comes out the day before the court makes its decision last week. What did the court end up deciding? The court in a six-to-three
2: decision, wound up ruling in favour of the website designer. And it said that Colorado cannot compel her to serve people if she has a religious objection to it.
0: So, Sam, I have to ask, if it wasn't Stuart who sent that message, who did?
2: We don't know. And... We might never know.
0: So the message at the heart of this case might have been a prank or completely fake, but its consequences are very real. And a year after these same judges took away the right to abortion, it was one of several decisions handed down last week that will reshape the lives of millions of Americans. Donald Trump may never set foot in the White House again, we can hope, but his legacy is already becoming clear. A right-wing majority on the Supreme Court could rule for decades, and which Joe Biden and the Democrats do have a way to stop. But it's risky. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, a legal revolution in America, and what Joe Biden can do about it. So Sam, what did the Supreme Court actually say in the Laurie Smith case? And what kinds of consequences is it going to have for gay and queer Americans?
2: The Supreme Court's ruling in the Laurie Smith case really comes down in favour of religious belief as a key principle in American life. And it essentially says that she has a right to refuse service, to announce a policy refusing service based on her religious beliefs. And there are deep, deep concerns about the implications for that in American life. How far can you extend that principle? Can someone object to serving a racial minority if they have a religious objection? Can someone object to serving someone of a different religion. And I, the concern is that this decision has given cover to people to discriminate against gay people, against all other types of minorities, if they simply say, I have a religious objection to doing this. And in the dissent, you know, Sonia Sotomayor a Supreme Court justice who was appointed by President Obama really went to lengths to point out how much of a setback this will be for gay Americans. And she points out that things like interracial marriage, which used to be banned in the United States, were once justified on the basis of religious beliefs and read that dissent from the bench at the Supreme Court for Several, several minutes, which is something that rarely happens at the court and something that justices use to signal when they strongly disagree with the majority opinion.
0: That's a really concerning decision from the Supreme Court. But it isn't the only one with implications for people's equality that was delivered last week. Tell me about the other case that the court ruled on.
3: We'll hear argument next in case 201199 Students for Fair Admissions versus the President and Fellows of Harvard College.
2: Of course last week also delivered a key decision in a case dealing with affirmative action in college admissions in the US.
0: So that's the idea that if you're from a minority background, an underrepresented background, you might stand a better chance at getting into a college like Harvard or Columbia or any college across the country. That's right.
1: Asians should be getting into Harvard more than whites, but they don't because Harvard gives them significantly
0: lower personal ratings. What Harvard is doing to Asians, like what it was doing to Jews in the 1920s, is shameful. But it's a predictable result of letting universities use race in highly subjective processes.
2: And the Supreme Court said that affirmative action is unconstitutional. This is a huge decision from the Supreme Court, basically ending that way of evaluating applicants.
0: How did that case come about? This case was supported
2: by a man named Edward Blum, who has emerged as a key figure in the conservative movement in bringing cases that challenge the use of race conscious policies to achieve equality. Your race and your ethnicity should not be used to help you or to harm you in your life's endeavors, whether you're applying for a job uh, college or a medical school. He was involved in another case that dealt with college admissions at the University of Texas, and now is involved in this case that it de- deals with affirmative action. And a consistent principle in all of these cases that Mr. Blum has been involved in is deep skepticism of the use of race to elevate certain groups above others. There's a deep skepticism that race-conscious policies continue to be needed in American life today. And so what does
0: Blum think universities should be doing instead?
2: I think what he would say is that everyone should be looked at race blind. Do you use the phrase colorblind? Well, I do. Um, uh, Just as The founders of uh, the modern civil rights movement used "colorblind." Everyone should go into the college admissions process on equal
0: footing. But that seems to fly in the face of the reality that race does exist. It does shape the outcomes of people's lives. So why would you want to end a program that tries to take that into account and counteracts its worst effects?
2: Well, this gets at one of the real divisions at the Supreme Court in recent years. And this is a division over the role that discrimination in race continues to play in America today. And if you ask the more conservative justices in this affirmative action case and in other cases dealing with race... They have continued to paint a picture of an America that's made great strides on racial equality, where programs like affirmative action are no longer necessary to achieve the kind of racial equality that we all want. And that is really at odds with the vision of America that the three liberal justices have painted, and that's an America that certainly has made strides on racial equality, but continues to be plagued by the legacy of inequality. And in their telling, this race-conscious way of looking at college admissions uh, and other areas is necessary to continue to make strides towards racial equality.
0: decision on affirmative action wasn't the only bombshell from the Supreme Court last Friday either. Tell me what else they decided.
2: Last year, President Biden introduced a policy to forgive certain amounts
3: of student debt. But I want to be clear who's going to benefit the most. Working people, the middle class. If you earn less than $125,000 a year, you'll get up to $10,000 knocked off your student debt.
2: And this was something that started during the coronavirus pandemic, and President Biden continued it last year.
3: Republican members of Congress are trying to do everything they can to deny this relief, even to their own constituents. As soon as I announced my administration's student debt plan, they started attacking it, saying all kinds of things.
2: And in its final decision of the term, the Supreme Court ended this policy six to three, it said that the Department of Education, you know, which is an agency under President Biden, really didn't have the authority to implement this policy.
0: And is it a coincidence that in the last term we heard cases about affirmative action, about LGBTQ rights, about President Biden's debt cancellation policy? Or is the court deciding what cases it wants to hear in which it wants to just leave on the side?
2: Well, the Supreme Court does decide what cases it wants to hear. It only takes up a small, small sliver of all the cases that litigants ask it to hear. And the issues that it considers are often the most controversial issues that it wants to weigh in on. And in recent years, since there's been a conservative majority and now supermajority on the court, we've seen them weigh into increasingly controversial areas of American life.
3: So, what, what does this mean for you today? This means everything. This is the moment that we have been working towards. This is a historic day. This is the first day that America is living in a post-Roe generation.
2: Whether that's abortion, like we saw last year, they overturned Roe versus Wade.
3: And it's insane that we're going all the way back to the way things were in 1970, and that women's rights are being stripped away. And I do think that they will not stop here. For
2: some this year, affirmative action and college admissions, religious discrimination. This is a court that has signaled it is unafraid to weigh into these very controversial areas of American life.
0: Can you remind us how we got to what you just said is a supermajority of conservative justices? How did we get to the point that this court that has so much power in American life is so packed with conservatives?
2: Well, the conservative supermajority on the court has really been shaped by several things. First,
0: We join you with
1: this breaking news. Justice Antonin Scalia, the Supreme Court's most influential conservative, has
2: died. In 2016, Antonin Scalia died. And that gave President Obama a chance to appoint a new justice that would have reshaped the balance of the Supreme Court. It would have gone from a 5-4 conservative court to a 5-4 liberal
3: court. I've selected a nominee who is widely recognized not only as one of America's sharpest legal minds, but someone who brings to his work a spirit of decency, modesty, integrity, even-handedness, and excellence. And President Obama put forth a nominee. Today I am nominating Chief Judge Merrick Brian Garland to join the Supreme Court. And Republicans controlled the
2: Senate at the time, and they refused to even consider Merrick Garland's nomination for the court.
3: Within minutes, Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said no. Congress will wait until a newly elected president picks a Supreme Court justice. Our view is this. Give the people a voice in filling this vacancy.
2: And... President Trump, of course, won the election in 2016. There was still a vacancy on the court. He filled it. That allowed the conservatives to maintain their 5 4 majority. And then a few years ago, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Supreme
1: Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died at the age of 87 from complications from metastatic pancreatic cancer, according to a statement.
2: And President Trump was president at the time. Again, it was close to the 2020 election. But this time, Republicans appointed a new conservative justice just days before the election.
3: On this vote, the yeas are 52, the nays are 48. The nomination of Amy Coney Barrett of Indiana to be an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States is confirmed.
2: So that switched the balance of the court from five to four conservative to six to three conservative, really giving the conservatives a supermajority on the Supreme Court.
0: So Sam, this is a very conservative court flexing its muscles. Were there any cases brought by right-wing groups that this court didn't rule in favour of?
2: There were two significant rulings this term that were surprising. Both of them dealt with voting rights.
1: The rulings considered a big win for the Voting Rights Act in Section 2, which protects against racial discrimination in voting. I want to.
2: Bring One case dealt with a challenge to section two of the Voting Rights Act, which basically outlaws voting practices that discriminate on the basis of race. And in a very surprising decision in early June, the Supreme Court actually said that the conditions were met in the specific case that they were dealing with. And today the Supreme Court in a five to four decision written by Chief Justice John Roberts, joined by Brett Kavanaugh and the three liberal justices, said in
4: fact that Alabama's map was discriminatory, that it violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, that landmark
2: law. And that was surprising because Chief Justice John Roberts, who wrote the opinion in that case, has been very hostile to voting rights, both since he's been on the court and before he got on the court, when he was a lawyer in the Justice Department.
4: And so,
0: what do you think is behind that? That on some right-wing causes, the court happily endorses them, but when it comes to others, they surprise people by choosing not to go there?
2: There's been a lot of talk about this, and I think that's one of the key questions that everyone who watches the court is trying to figure out. And I talked with one law professor who I thought framed it Really well. And he said that what the Supreme Court has done, and specifically what Chief Justice Roberts has done this term, has really taken the edge off the criticism that the Supreme Court is political, that it is results oriented, and that these justices are just hacks. That by issuing these surprising rulings in these voting rights cases, it's provided the Supreme Court with a little bit of cover to be very aggressive on other uh, issues that are very important to the conservative movement.
0: It sounds like this very conservative court is trying to walk a line between achieving the goals of the conservative movement that they've been appointed to those positions to achieve and not making the court look so right-wing that it loses legitimacy, in the eyes of the American public. And I'm wondering, how well do you think it's walking that line?
2: I think that's exactly the right way to put it. I think that the Supreme Court is really struggling with its perception that it is a conservative, Republican institution. And this is something I think that was supercharged by the court's decision in the abortion case last year. It overturned the constitutional right to an abortion. I think that decision caused Americans to see the court as a political institution in ways that Americans just hadn't considered it before.
3: These days, it's fair to ask who really is in charge in this country, because the momentous loss of the constitutional right to abortion, which has led to state abortion bans across the country, came from a ruling by just five right-wing justices on the Supreme
2: Court. At the same time, you know it suffered a series of ethics scandals. And
0: a report from ProPublica today is raising new questions about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his financial ties to billionaire Harlan Crow. He's a prominent Republican mega donor.
4: according to the report. There's
2: been excellent and continued reporting on conflicts of interest that the justice may have before parties, that are coming before the court.
3: It's an incredible piece of investigative journalism showing that Justice Alito was treated to a major taste of the sweet life by a conservative billionaire who later had business before the court at least 10 times. Justice Alito didn't recuse himself from any of those cases.
2: And the court is really, I think, responding to all of this attention, all of these attacks on its credibility and trying to figure out how to restore some of that. And I think that there's even a debate on the court that we're seeing emerge between the conservative justices on how fast the Supreme Court should move in achieving some of its goals. Someone once said to me, you know, the question on the Supreme Court is is its velocity, not the direction, sort of how fast is it gonna move, not where it's going.
0: coming up, this conservative supermajority might dominate the court for generations. Is there anything Democrats can do about it?
4: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music. For all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: Today in Focus is supported by Better Help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com todayinfocus today in focus today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash today in focus. Black Caucus said the Supreme Court has thrown into question its own legitimacy. Is this a
3: rogue court? This is not a normal
0: court. Sam, these three decisions, especially the one on student debt, are a blow to Joe Biden's agenda. What's been his reaction? President Biden has been very forceful
2: in his response to these decisions. The
3: court has effectively ended affirmative action in college admissions, and I strongly strongly disagree with the court's decision.
2: You're right that he has not supported the Supreme Court's decisions. And in the student loan case, immediately, the day they announced the decision, announced that he was going to take another stab at a modified version of the debt forgiveness
3: program. I'm announcing today a new path consistent with today's ruling to provide student debt relief to as many borrowers as possible, as quickly as possible. We will ground this new approach in a different law than my original plan. Which I'm
2: sure will be challenged immediately. But as the president gears up to run for re-election, I think that this is actually an advantage to him. It gives him another cudgel he can use on this on the campaign trail, pointing to why voters need to re-elect him so that a future president can't appoint more conservative justices to the Supreme Court.
0: Does he have any other options, other than just waiting for these conservative justices to retire and hoping that it's a Democratic president in the White House when they do?
2: I think recognising the legacy of the Supreme Court, many Democrats have started to call for changing the makeup of the Supreme Court. Well,
3: um, the Republicans, they upset the balance on the Supreme Court. So we need to expand by two in order to uh, get back to two seats which were stolen, and then two more seats in order to restore the balance uh, that had existed on the court.
2: So one option some Democrats have called for is adding seats to the Supreme Court, which would give President Biden more... Appointment.
3: So It's like the bully down the school yacht. If you let the bully keep stealing your lunch money, uh, nothing's going to stop them in the future. So the only question is, are we going to stand up to the bullies?
2: Uh, Another option I've heard is this idea that justices should be forced to retire after a certain number of years on the court. Supreme Court justices currently have life appointments, and there's been calls to revisit that.
1: The court's If they were to proceed without any check on their power, without any balance on their power, uh, then we will start to see an undemocratic and, frankly, dangerous authoritarian expansion of power in the Supreme Court, which is what we are seeing now from the overturning.
2: And President Biden, it should be noted, has not embraced any of those calls so far. He has not said that the Supreme Court should be changed. He hasn't said that the Supreme Court should be expanded.
0: But Sam... Given how powerful this majority is and how destructive they're proving to the agenda of of left-wing and liberal people, why isn't Biden considering these more nuclear options, like adding judges to the bench or forcing them to retire when they reach a certain age? President
2: Biden, you have to remember, is an institutionalist. He was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which confirms Supreme Court justices. So I think he certainly has a deep understanding of the court and the justices that serve on it. You know, he served in the Senate for several decades. And I think it commands a real respect for the institutions in Washington and in various aspects of his presidency has been slow to come around to the idea that some of these institutions might be in need of change. I think there's also a concern that changing the rules for Supreme Court appointments could open up a Pandora's box. I think they recognize that President Biden and Democrats won't control the White House forever. And, you know, if they change the rules now, imagine what Republicans could do once they got into power.
0: But Sam, you told me about the way that Republicans prevented President Obama from putting his nominee on the Supreme Court way back in 2016. And it seems like when it comes to the Supreme Court, they play this game pretty hard. And what I wonder is, are the Democrats perhaps holding on to this idea that the Supreme Court should be above politics, that it should be a completely separate institution from the cut and thrust of partisanship and all that, while the other side doesn't see it that way at all. They recognize the Supreme Court for what it is, which is a political institution.
2: I think more and more, there's recognition from the Democrats that this is a political institution. I think the way that Democrats are talking about the Supreme Court now is much, much different from even the way that it was talked about five years ago, uh, let alone 10 years ago. And I think that the public distrust of the Supreme Court, the mounting pressure over the court, both for its ethics and for the way it's going about making its decisions, you know a court that overrules precedent in some cases that's just a few years old, I think is going to lead to very, very serious pressure from Democrats to change something about the court.
0: Sam, thank you very much.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: That was Sam Levine, a voting rights reporter with Guardian US. For more on this story, listen to this week's Politics Weekly US, out tomorrow, where Jonathan Friedland speaks to Moira Donegan about the Democrats' options in dealing with this very conservative court. That's Politics Weekly US, and you can find it wherever you find Today in Focus. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Alex Atak. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson, and we'll be back tomorrow.